in this situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Lee. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with a Jeremy's Bob Pro Hunter? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. Many stats are dying in the world of baseball, and some of them are, are probably almost at the last couple breaths. One of them is the stat of save, which is obviously a pitcher in the ninth inning getting the last three outs or the last out or so with the tying or go-ahead run on base. 126 players in the year of 2020 have recorded a save. Um, Rodgers and Hayter. Um, Trevor Rogers or Taylor Rogers, I'm sorry, of the uh, San Diego Padres leads the league in saves with 22. Josh Hader also has 22. Um, if, if you look at a lot of different pitchers in baseball, though, have stood out this year. And I think it's worth it to talk about it for just a, a brief second before I, I divulge myself into the um, prolegomenal points of the past ball show today. Uh, you're looking at some teams that are kind of on a rise, whether it's Colorado. They've been a little up and down, but they've played good baseball this year. The Baltimore Orioles are only a handful of games away from 500. The Detroit Tigers have expectations that they should do a little better than they have. The Pittsburgh Pirates have won some games that they weren't expected to win this year. And What all four of those teams have in common is they have solidified the ninth inning in regards to the operation of their bullpen. If you came into this year thinking about the Orioles, the Tigers, the Rockies, and the Pirates, would you be able to name definitively who all four of those teams should use in the ninth inning of games this year? Now, David Bednar has looked really good for the Pirates last year. Odds are he was going to be the closer this year. He's done an outstanding job. Gregory Soto has gotten to the All-Star game a couple times, or at least once with the Detroit Tigers. Daniel Bard, a guy who spent maybe about three or four years out of baseball before making a comeback. And obviously we know the difficulties that exist with pitching high-leverage situations in the mile-high altitude of Coors Field. And then the Orioles, can you even name who would have been the closer this year? And obviously you look at Jorge Lopez, sub-1 ERA, 13 saves. Clay Holmes, who was with the Pirates at this time last year, pitching to a 5.5 ERA, was brought in by the Yankees to specialize in his one pitch and using the cutter, has 12 saves and a sub-1 ERA. Daniel Bard, who I just mentioned, 15 saves with the Rockies, a sub-2 ERA. Soto, 14 saves, a sub-3 ERA. Bednar, 11 saves with a sub-2 ERA. David Robertson, a lot of people are all hyped up about David Robertson this year. And David Robertson's had a very good career. Obviously, his time with the Yankees, a little bit with the White Sox and that extended deal that he got there. But a lot of baseball fans are like, hey, my favorite team is going to be in the midst of for relievers. And that's just about everybody. Everybody in baseball that expects to be a contender this year is going to be needing some sort of help in their bullpen. And everybody's like, oh, man, I, I, I identified this guy because I look at bad teams and to see if they have one veteran pitcher that's pitching really well. And I looked at the Chicago Cubs, and oh my God, there it is. It's David Robertson. 
He'll be a perfect fit for the Mets. He'll be a perfect fit for the Phillies. He'll be a perfect fit for the Red Sox, for the Yankees. Uh, and bottom line is any freaking team that's competing in Major League Baseball, any fan base of a team that is competitive in baseball shares can be like, oh, make a trade with the Cubs. And you know what the Cubs got? I love quoting my favorite movies. They got... They they got they got a freaking they got a guaranteed friggin' win. They got a Guyana. They have a, a situation where there is no way they can lose in this particular situation. They got a player, a veteran player with a proven track record on a minor league deal that is doing a job for the Cubs on a team that's going nowhere. They could package a veteran player. Maybe it's a Kyle Hendricks or somebody. They're looking to move some salary if they want. But they're going to be able to get a legitimate MLB prospect, whether MLB ready or certainly somebody in some a team's top 10 when they're trading for David Robertson. And those fans that are all like, oh, man, he'd be a good fit here. He'd be a good fit here. I'm going to look and be like, I'm not, I'm not trading a top 10 prospect for David Robertson. I promise you this. The team that trades for David Robertson this year is going to give up at least one top 10 prospect in their own system. And remember that because it's now on the record and I will refer to it once it happens. Now, baseball fans kind of got woken up from their season-long coma when they got to watch the Mariners and the Angels slug it out during the afternoon of yet of uh, Sunday's game between the two teams and you could talk about what led up to it whether it's the pitch that buzzed Mike Trout the day before what did Phil Nevin consciously make the decision to change his pitcher from a starting pitcher to a relief pitcher knowing that he's going to throw at a couple guys and maybe enact some sort of revenge maybe that's what Jesse Winker thought and obviously you charged the dugout what you had in this situation is something that you don't see very often a real Major League Baseball fight with Players throwing punches. You got uh, Anthony Rendon, who's injured with a cast on his left hand, swinging his cast at Jesse Winker while you know J.P. Crawford's uh, on top of him, punching him in the head. Things that you don't see too often in baseball. Most of the time, you see sissy fights. You see uh, a couple players and a little bit of an argument on the field, and everybody comes out of the dugout, and then the clowns from the bullpen can't wait to run on the field. Run, run, run. Oh, my God, look what's going on. And then they stand there and they do absolutely nothing. That's your baseball fight that you're normally ready to see. So anybody that was looking for some action in Major League Baseball got to see a little of it yesterday. And it's a shame what has happened to the game. And I've talked about how much I love baseball, how much I always have loved baseball, and how much I always will love baseball. And the fact that it's very hard to follow a game. Now, if you're a fan of a certain team and that team happens to be doing well, well, it's easy to follow. But that regular 1-1 game that drags on to the 4th, to the 8th, as you get ready for the ninth, and are you going to withstand a runner going to second base if the game goes to extra innings? Baseball is becoming a snooze fest. So baseball fans are obviously all retweeting and sharing the fight between the Mariners and the Angels because, number one, it was actually a fight, people throwing punches. It wasn't one of those dog and pony shows that you see. And the clowns, I can't I, I can't emphasize anymore the clowns that come out of that bullpen to just stand there and embarrass themselves. It should be against 
it should be against the baseball law for pitchers to leave the bullpen during an altercation. I mean, if the NBA, and I've said this before, so I'm not you know, making stuff up here, but if the NBA can suspend players that leave their bench during an altercation on the court, you telling me you can't suspend people that come out of the bullpen during any of these silly fracases where there's nothing freaking going on? I digress. I, I bounce away from this, but you know, I, I speak for many when we talk about a lot of the changes that have happened in the game that have made the game not as entertaining. It's hard to follow a game on television, especially with the batter stepping out all the time, pitcher taking his time. A lot of times there's all these different things going on in regards to signs and the, the catcher with their little thing on their arms. It's not as simple as it was before, so all this is taking time. Long commercial breaks to make sure all the different sponsors get paid because you know baseball wants to make sure they get their time before the sponsors start going other places. You know, it's nice to have a contract with the NFL, right? Or even the NBA, which is becoming more of a national game than even baseball is at the moment. And obviously, you have a a moment where people wake up, and all of a sudden it's, wow, there's something going on. There's something worth sharing, worth looking at. And it has nothing to do with a home run or a strikeout or a no-hitter or a a walk-off. It's two teams slugging it out which you haven't seen too much in baseball. Next thing I wanted to spend a moment on, congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche, winners of the Stanley Cup this year, the third cup that they have ever won, all three since moving from Canada. They were the Quebec Nordiques from 1979-80 all the way until, what was it, 94-95. They actually won a Stanley Cup their first year when they moved from Quebec to Colorado. Joe Sackick was part of the first two championships and, of course, is part of the third as the general manager. And it makes me think a little bit. Obviously, uh, as a fan of dynasties and dominant teams, I would have loved to seen the Tampa Bay Lightning win the third straight Stanley Cup. It would have been the first time since, what, 82-83 when the New York Islanders finished off their fourth straight cup that a team in hockey had won three straight. But you can't deny the fact that Colorado was deserving of the Cup. And maybe, just like you're going to say about the Rams winning the Super Bowl or the Braves winning the World Series or the Warriors winning the NBA championship, you know, is this the start or a part of a dynasty? Because you know what? That's kind of what brings conversation. We have sports conversation like this after every time a team wins. Because it's always about, hey, how good were they? Were they a one-off? Was this the 1997 Miami, at the time, Florida Marlins that were just built to win that World Series and after they had won it, is it time to rip it down? Obviously, the Colorado Avalanche look like this is a team that's going to be good for a handful of seasons. Nathan McKinnon, one of the best players in hockey. It looks like they have a very well-balanced team. They're well-coached. they got a goaltender. It looks like the Avalanche are going to be a team to be reckoned with over the next couple of years. But what we've seen in sports is you can have the best regular seasons in the world and have the best record in a given season followed by another one. And you still got to make it through the rounds when all the teams in the playoffs are all looking for the same thing. So we'll see how that ends up turning out. But you know, I wanted to spend a, a minute or so talking a little bit about hockey in Canada. 
because you got the eight teams that are in there right now that are all from Canada. And obviously, you know, the Colorado Avalanche started out as the Quebec Nordiques, like I said before. I remember them growing up. I remember their logo, which was one of the more badass logos that you've seen in hockey. I, I you know, just the, the way it looks kind of reminds me of some of the 80s baseball jerseys that you saw in baseball that were really retro for the, for the time that they were around. But I also think of the Winnipeg Jets, not the Winnipeg Jets that you think of right now, but the original Winnipeg Jets that started um, the same year, or actually, yeah, the same exact season as the, as the Colorado team, which was in Quebec at the time. And they lasted in Winnipeg from 79-80 to 95-96, and then they moved to Phoenix, are now known as they've been for the last was it six seasons as the Arizona Coyotes obviously have their own issues as, as they exist right now. I mean, you think about it. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, it, you're probably talking about a situation where you know, they may not have a place to play over the course of the next couple seasons. And I think it is, it is very worthy to, to think about this because... You know, there's a state a stadium situation where they have an owner that's not paying for it, and you know, you certainly look at, at the team as it exists right now. It's not very star driven, and obviously, Winnipeg ended up getting themselves another NHL team, the Atlanta Thrashers, who didn't last in the league for very long. I think it was what from '96, '97 until yeah, I, I'll have to look it up. But yeah, you, know, you think of hockey as it exists in Canada right now. And you wonder why maybe there should be more Canada teams. Are we talking about hockey as it exists right now being uh, more of a Canadian sport than American sport? <clears throat> I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there's great markets that exist in a, in a world of hockey right now. I think New York, because they follow the Rangers and to a lesser extent, Islanders and Devils, but you know the Philadelphia hockey market's pretty strong. Same as in Boston and Chicago and Detroit. I mean, little cities or little uh, uh, lesser populated cities like Nashville sell out their arenas. The same thing you could look in Tampa Bay. They can't get people to show up to watch the Rays, but you know they had some pretty good crowds during the course of the playoffs and. Obviously, it happens when you win back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. But, you know, you wonder, is hockey more of a Canadian game? And it's just really where it's, it, it, was, it was most demonstrated. You look at the uh, colder weather. It allows for games, in some cases, to be played outside. Or kids, as they're growing up in certain regions, have a chance to, to, to play the game outside a lot more. Uh, maybe from a cost standpoint, it doesn't cost too much if you have a frozen pond as opposed to having to play in a in a, a stadium or arena where all the costs for the equipment and the building and everything would be a little more. I don't know, but it, it, I just I just think it's it's worth thinking about. Um, will there be or should there have been more expansion teams in Canada as opposed to the United States? You, know, you got the Seattle Kraken, which just got themselves a team. A couple years ago, the, the Vegas Golden Knights got themselves a team. And does some of it have to do with the issues from COVID and maybe some of the national restrictions by 
the you know the can the country of Canada, making it hard for people to travel, um, vaccination mandates and stuff like that. Did did that cost a couple cities in Canada a chance at a full blown franchise? I don't know. An expansion team. We'll see. I, I don't really have an answer to that. But uh, Deshaun Watson, and I try to keep this as, as football-related as I possibly can, it, there's going to be a eventual decision about him, whether he's going to be suspended. It's likely he'll be suspended, most likely through this upcoming season, and maybe the NFL takes it a bit further if they believe that his contract was constructed with the ex- expectation that he was going to be suspended, so his salary was going to be less of a cap hit for the Cleveland Browns. The Browns seem okay with Jacoby Brissett, who they signed or traded for. They got him as his backup, and he'll be the starter of the team this year. One player that will not be taking a snap for the Cleveland Browns is Baker Mayfield, and there's still going to be discussion about Baker, where he's going to end up. Are the Browns just going to hold on to him and pay him to not play for them? Which looks very poorly calculated if you're the Cleveland Browns. To, to me, I, I had no issue with trading for Deshaun Watson. I mean, from a football standpoint, he's going to be playing for somebody. You know, you can't have this boycott. You can't blacklist a player because of allegations. And I hate to say it. I mean, as bad as this looks for Deshaun Watson, and it keeps looking worse by the day, you know, you hear these stories, you hear uh, all, all these different things thrown his way as far as the way he acted. It doesn't look like he acted like a gentleman. And there was no criminal charges that he was that were filed against him, or he wasn't charged with anything or convicted of anything. But it looks like he's going to be dishing out a lot of money. Twenty of the twenty-four cases have been settled. Will all of them be settled? But once again, it leaves the NFL in a position because they have the the ghost of Christmas past of Ray Rice. They decided they were going to suspend him. They suspended him, and then all of a sudden, a video comes out and they show. Uh, Ray Rice punching his uh, his wife in the face. Now that didn't look good for the NFL, and unfortunately, years that go by, uh, you, the NFL is still thinking about that from a PR nightmare standpoint. And they have to get to a certain point where they have to make a decision on Deshaun Watson. You know, maybe a little bit of an extra suspension with the thought that hey, maybe there's going to be something that comes up, but it has to be final. And you have to understand, hey, whatever else happens in the future in, that pertains to this, the NFL has ruled on its own. And it, in that case, it's kind of unique. Kind of reminds you a little bit of the Trevor Bauer situation in Major League Baseball. Trevor Bauer was never arrested. He was never sent to court. He never had charges filed against him. He never um, stood in front of a judge. And had a jury sit there and decide whether he was guilty or not guilty. And baseball had placed him on administrative leave a bunch of times. Finally decided they were going to give him a two-year suspension. Which, by the way, if Trevor Bauer feels like he was unrightly treated by Major League Baseball, he's got the right to appeal. He's got the right to sue Major League Baseball. He has the right to take this to some sort of court that can decide whether his suspension should be lessened and what his eligibility should be for playing Major League Baseball under the terms of what he has been accused of. Like I said, 
It's not like, and, and I'll, I'll throw Mike Vick in there. Mike Vick was arrested. He was found guilty of you know murdering dogs and what he was doing there, and obviously a very, uh, very nasty and heinous type of crime. Served time in prison, was suspended, and then came back and played in the National Football League. So you're looking at two cases, one with Trevor Bauer, the other one with Deshaun Watson, and obviously in a day of the enhanced media and everybody, you know, John Q, whoever, can put their own take in on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and let it be known how they feel when 20 years ago nobody would have been able to put their opinion out on a public forum. Now you got people that are, basically guilty before proven guilty. Now, it doesn't mean that I think that Deshaun Watson is innocent. Was he guilty of something that's going to result in him serving time in prison? It doesn't look like he's going to jail. It doesn't look like he is going to be arrested. It doesn't look like he's going to be put in handcuffs and have to stand before a judge. And I think that does mean something. It doesn't mean that lives weren't hurt. It doesn't mean that women weren't improperly treated. Obviously, if there's 24 cases, there's got to be some smoke to what's going on there. And if this is a guy basically, you know, walking around, you know, serial, serially exposing himself in massage parlors. And there's always the massage parlors that do that do have those extra, extracurricular activities. Now nobody wants to bring that up now because it, it come it comes out in poor taste. It comes out, oh my God, there's a, a male chauvinistic statement to say that rub and tugs don't exist. And perhaps this is what started Deshaun Watson on the indecent behavior that he is and he has been doing. If, if, there, if there's a place that does it, you know, it's kind of contradictory when that place says, oh my God, that behavior is unacceptable. If there's a person that's allowing it, whether it's an owner, whether it's a masseuse, that's where these things get started. And you assume, and I believe we're assuming right, that the majority of massage parlors are not providing those type of services but I think of it from you know this the perspective of the person that um, you know is appalled the woman that uh, is getting ready to do their job and a male decides to expose himself and expect something extra I would see why that person would be upset but in addition to being upset with the actions of the man be upset with the precedent that had been set in massage parlors for years. That's got to be part of it. Listen, doesn't it all absolve Deshaun Watson? Doesn't it at all make it not about that type of behavior which should not, in any case, be condoned? But I'd also throw aside argument or anger or hostility. Some of my hostility should be towards the massage parlors that are willingly allowing this stuff to go on. And I hope, out of the 24 lawsuits that are out there, 
I hope not one of these parlors have allowed this type of activity to happen before. Because if they've done it for somebody else, then they look like a friggin' hypocrite. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey by two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, finishing the show up with a little Baker slash Jimmy G talk. Because Garoppolo, you think of him with the 49ers, probably not going to be ready for the uh, ready for training camp, ready for preseason, ready for opening night in the NFL. And the thought is, is similar to Baker Mayfield, he's taking his last snap under center for that of the San Francisco 49ers. Now the 49ers traded up last year to get Trey Lance, and he's going to be their quarterback for the next series of years. And that's the expectation. You don't take a quarterback and draft them number three and just have them as a career backup. Jimmy G's time in San Francisco, you know, is coming to a close. The question is, how soon? You know, his injury, is he? Uh, you hear that he's kind of on point as far as the rehab and the expectation for him to return. You still keep pointing at the two cities that everybody says needs a quarterback. Seattle, Drew Locke, Geno Smith, Carolina, Sam Darnold, P.J. Walker. Everybody keeps saying those teams need upgrades, and maybe those are the two landing spots for these two particular players. The Baker situation, like I said, is weird because yeah, I think... You know, had Deshaun Watson not be facing these allegations, I think he'd still be in Houston. Number one, I don't think the Texans would would trade would would be that anxious to trade him and move on from him. So that doesn't set the uh, the the balls and the uh, wheels into effect of Baker Mayfield's eventual exit for Cleveland. Oh, by the way, he's still there. They traded for Deshaun Watson. Baker Mayfield's like. Dude, I'm your quarterback. You picked up my fifth-year option, and they didn't trade him. So no team was going to want to take his salary. Jimmy G's got a, a pretty big price tag, so teams are going to be wary of that. So you look at two teams, and there's Seattle, there's Carolina, and they're in the, the prestigious position of being able to negotiate a deal where these other teams are probably going to have to pick up some of the salary. Baker and $18 million, you know, isn't going isn't going to be the salary that that team's going to take on when they trade for Baker. The same with Jimmy G and his $23 million. But once again, you're going to continue to recycle the same stuff. Is Seattle a landing place? Is Carolina a landing place? Well, I think there's another landing place that you got to start thinking about a little bit, and that's Cleveland. No Deshaun Watson this year. Well, it's not official yet. They believe in Jacoby Brissett. That's why they brought him in there. Baker, eventually he's going to go somewhere. But imagine Baker sitting out a season, kind of like, uh, almost like you want to compare it to John Wall with the Rockets this past year. It's not John Wall's fault. That he got paid to not play for the Houston Rockets. The Rockets made the decision to not play him. You know, they have a guy making them amount of money. It's an insult to them and their organization to not play him. 
Now, obviously, you're talking about a uh, star player in the NBA as opposed to a starting quarterback in the NFL. You could have multiple star players on a team in the NBA. You could only have one quarterback. And that's why it's going to make the Baker-Mayfield situation probably unprecedented. And if we're, we're playing odds here, and a lot of people are going to want to keep throwing Seattle in there because they hate the thought of Drew Locke and Geno Smith potentially starting games for the Seattle Seahawks this year. And a lot of people are done with Sam Darnold, who, by the way, was only two players take, taking two spaces after Baker Mayfield in a, in a uh, draft a couple years back, or what, four or five years back. And they're going to want to put Baker somewhere. They're going to want to put Jimmy G somewhere. How about this? It's going to be on the record as I say it. Mark my words. Baker Mayfield will be a Cleveland Brown week one. Doesn't mean he's playing. He ain't ever going to play for the Browns again, but he'll, he will be on the Cleveland Browns week one. You can check out the podcast, Passball Show. You could listen to it on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, however you get your podcast uh, your videos on YouTube. I don't know when we'll be back with you, but we'll, we'll keep it in, hopefully before the end of the week sometime. But uh, God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the Fernie World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on in my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. It'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I was supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs and decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.